Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker. I am the host and creator of the Bible in Life. And I'm glad to be with you today on this episode. Glad that you're joining me here. If this is your first time listening to the Bible in Life, I want to give a warm welcome to you. If you've been listening for a while, man, I'm super grateful for you. The Bible in Life is all about uh, trying to provide resources and teaching and guidance how to read the Bible in such a way that it intersects with and connects with our everyday life, not just so that we can know the Bible more, but so that we can follow Jesus more. And so that's what we're all about. And I like to refer to that as blue jeans theology, theology for everyday life that's set in the context of everyday life to help us follow Jesus in the midst of our everyday life. And on this episode, we want to just really ask and explore a question related to how to read the most dominant type of literature found in the Bible. And that literature is narrative literature. In other words, historical stories. Uh, So much of the Bible is stories, but what do we do with it? There's great stories, exciting stories, fun stories, but how in the world do they speak God's truth to us? How are we supposed to apply them to life? That's the topic that we want to take on in this episode. And before we jump into that, let me just mention a resource on my website that goes right along with some of the stuff we're going to talk about on this episode. And that resource is a little ebook. It's about a 40-page ebook, totally free, uh, that is called Bible in Life. You can look it up at johnwhitaker.net, johnwhitaker.net, right on the homepage. Uh, if you scroll down a little bit, there will be the the ebook there, and all you got to do is put in your name and email address. You'll get immediate access to that that ebook, uh, and it gives you five practices for reading the Bible well, for hearing it, understanding it, digging into it, and then five practices for putting it into practice in your life. Five ways that will help you heed what the Bible has to say, not just hear it. And that's completely free over on my website. So check that out. It'll help you read and study and live the Bible well. And that fits in very much with the question and the topic of this particular episode. So let's jump into what we want to explore today. And that is how do you read biblical narratives correctly, appropriately, helpfully? How do you read them well? And the fact is, is that narrative is the most common type of literature in the Bible. And again, just to clarify, by narrative, we mean the stories of the Bible. Um, In fact, even sections of the Bible that in and of themselves are not explicitly narrative, they're set in the context of narrative. So, for example, the Old Testament law, the Torah, is actually set in a narrative context. And huge chunks of it obviously are narrative. Some of it are law code. Some of it is guidelines for how to build the tabernacle. But all of that even is set in the midst of a story. And so narrative um, is really the dominant type of literature in the whole Bible. And the Bible itself really is one giant narrative, one big story. And so when we're talking about narrative, we're talking about certain well-known stories, right? Like uh, David and Goliath, well-known. We're talking about Daniel and the lion's den, well-known story. We're talking about stories about Abraham, stories about Moses. Uh, We even have things like the entire book of Kings and the the history of Israel and all the kings of Israel and what happened there. Uh, 
Those are what we mean by narrative. Now, those are Old Testament narratives. When we come to the New Testament, we have the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All the stories about Jesus, narrative. Or the book of Acts is narrative. And in fact, sometimes we're like, well, it's just stories. I'm not sure what to do with that. Might be exciting, might be interesting, but how does it apply and why is it there? Like, what do we do with that? Just telling a story. So how do we really engage with narrative well? And the first thing we need to recognize is that the New Testament assures us that the Old Testament, including the narrative, which most of the Old Testament is that, are written for our benefit. Romans 15, 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 6 and 11, 2 Timothy 3, 16 says all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, right? These assure us that the, the narratives of scripture are written for our benefit. The, the problem is, is how do they benefit us? How do we read them well? Uh, to reap the benefit from them. And the problem with the stories of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament narratives, is we rush to personalize them and apply them, and we don't always read them well. And that leads to sometimes some really funky stuff. I remember listening to a sermon a number of years ago by a very famous radio preacher back in the day, who was taking the story of David and Goliath and essentially turned it into a giant allegory of our battle with sin. And he compared Goliath to sin because if you read the story, Goliath is you know starting to come up the Israelite side of the hill after 40 days. And he made the point that, man, sin's just like that. If you let it hang around a little bit too long, all of a sudden it starts to take over more and more territory in your life. And and. That's just not what that story is about. Goliath is Goliath. He's not a metaphor for sin. Uh, David is a real person, and he's not a metaphor for you, right? And so what is that story actually about? Or uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and Hannah's uh, barrenness and not able to have a son and what's going on there and how that story then culminates with God's promises to her and her receiving a son, Samuel. And I've heard that passage preached uh, as here's how you deal with infertility. And I'm like, oh, that's not at all what that story is even about. Um, it's not appropriate. And so oftentimes we read Old Testament narratives poorly because we want them to apply to us directly. That's just not how they work. So how do they work? Well, in any text, any text, but in our case, the Bible, that's the text we're talking about. But really, in any single thing you read, in any text, what is the source of meaning? And in, in, in any text, the source of meaning is what the author is trying to communicate. The author of the text actually controls the meaning of the text. That's why we say that the aim of Bible study, A-I-M, the aim of Bible study is the author's intended meaning, A-I-M. Um, because the, the idea of the author communicating something, well, that's the key. If someone is attempting to communicate something, then that person controls the meaning. We all know this if we've been married and we've had a conversation with our spouse and we think we hear what they're trying to say, but we've misunderstood them and they're telling, no, that's not what I mean, right? Well, that's the way it goes with any single text, but in our case, the Bible. So what we do is we discover meaning, we don't create it. And so when we're talking about narrative text, uh, we have to say, okay, 
what is the author of this text trying to communicate by writing this text? He's telling this story for a reason. It's included in this, this book for a particular reason. It's included in this book at this point for a particular reason. So what is the author attempting to communicate by telling us this story? And so biblical stories are not just history lessons. Uh, the story, catch this, is really important. The story is the strategy for communicating the author's meaning. And so how do stories communicate? Well, stories communicate, unlike, say, a letter, Paul's letters in the New Testament, Peter's letters in the New Testament, stories communicate differently. Letters communicate directly and explicitly. The author tells you exactly what he's trying to say. But stories communicate implicitly and indirectly. That doesn't mean we can make up anything we want to say. It just means that they don't come out and say, here's the point of the story. Here's how I want you to respond. It's implicit. And so we have to read carefully and we have to see, okay, what is going on in this story? And, and so they communicate implicitly and indirectly. The story is the strategy, but it's not like direct communication. You, ha you have to read the story well. And they do that through plot, which means the flow of the story. What happens? In what order does it happen? What phrases and words are used to, dis to tell what happened? What's said? How is it said, right? What, when is it said? All of that is how stories communicate. And so we have to read the story closely in order to make sure we understand what the author is attempting to communicate to us. And so that means... Let me just give some cautions, all right, just a handful of cautions when reading particularly Old Testament narratives. That means that if we're going to read Old Testament stories well, we, caution number one, don't rush to personalize it. The story is not primarily about you and about me and about us and about our world today. It's not my own personal story. And so the story of Hannah and her barrenness and then God providing a child isn't primarily about her and then you and her infertility and your infertility or anything like that. We have to avoid that. The story of David and Goliath isn't primarily, as it often is couched, a story about facing the giants in your life and how you can do that. We have to guard against rushing to personalize. Um, they're not all about us. That's really like a second caution. It's directly related to personalize, but let me amplify this. Don't make them all about us. God and his ways are primary. So when reading Old Testament narratives, don't focus on us, focus on God and his ways. Another caution is um, that the, we need to remember that the Old Testament stories, or really stories in general in the Bible, tell us what happened, not always what's supposed to happen. Just because something happens in the Bible doesn't mean that's the way it's supposed to go down, or that's the way God wants us to do it too. You know, so for example, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, when they, when they cast lots to choose a replacement for Judas, that doesn't mean that's how we have to choose Christian leaders today. We have to uh, roll the dice, right? That's not how we do it. Um, that's just telling how they did it. It's just telling what happened, not necessarily what's supposed to happen. Uh, this is the case all throughout. And so we need to make sure we recognize they tell us what happened not always what's supposed to happen. Another caution for us is to remember that the, the stories of the Bible aren't allegories. 
for example, I heard, heard a sermon once on Acts 27, which describes Paul's sea voyage to Rome and how they get caught in a storm and ended up shipwrecked on the island of Malta. That's the story in a nutshell, just to jog your memory. I heard a sermon on that passage about how when life gets hard and we face storms in our life and various trials, we can learn lessons from this event. And notice how they began to throw the ship's cargo overboard to lighten the load. And when life gets hard and we have uh, difficulties, we need to do that. We need to strip off all the unnecessary things in our life so that we can just focus on the most important things. That might be good practice advice. It's just nothing to do with Acts 27 and the storm. Uh, We don't want to read, say, the story of Jacob in Genesis about how God is a matchmaker and uh, and he's going to arrange a marriage for us. That's not the point of the Jacob story about uh, going and getting a wife, right? So biblical stories are not allegories, and we don't want to turn them into that by making them symbolic of all the things in our life. All right, then, if that's some cautions, some things that we should make sure we avoid, how do uh, narratives communicate, and therefore how can we read them well? Well, the primary thing to remember is this, that biblical narratives are theological history theological history, and what they intend to do is shape our worldview and then how we live out that worldview. And so they're not primarily moralistic stories to teach us lessons on parenting, lessons on marriage, uh, lessons on leadership, lessons on finance, right? Lessons on trials. That's not primarily their point. They're theological history to teach us primarily about God and God's purposes, and God's ways, and how God works to accomplish his purposes, and how uh, people are related to God, and how God relates to people. Theological history, not moralistic stories. And so as we read uh, biblical narratives, particularly Old Testament narratives, let's just keep focusing on that since they're often the ones that trip us up. When we read narratives, there's really two questions we have to keep in mind. The first question is the what happened question. That is the historical question. Uh, That the narratives tell simply what happened, and so we need to read, okay, what happened in this story? But there's a second question, and that question is the literary question. And that question is this. What did the author intend to communicate by arranging this story the way he does? So here's what happened, the historical question. Let's understand that, but also... Why is the author communicating it the way he is? By including this particular story, by telling it the way he does with the words and phrases and the plot flow that he does, by including it at this point. Both of those questions, the historical question and the literary question, are crucial to making sure we're reading the Old Testament narratives well. And so since they're theological history, as we've already pointed out, we don't want to read them primarily morally for parenting principles or reconciliation guidelines or for leadership advice, right? We want to ask the question, what do they teach us about God and his ways and his relationship to man? We want to ask, if we're reading the Old Testament, how do they fit into the story of Israel? Where do they happen in the story of Israel? What do they tell us about the nature of Israel and Israel's relationship to God and God's covenant with them? And we even want to ask, how do they point forward to Jesus? 
uh, since he is the culmination of Israel's story? Or, or how do they flow out of the message about Jesus if we're reading, say, the book of Acts? Uh, and this all involves reading the narratives, the stories, in light of their immediate literary context, just like reading anything else. Uh, we got to read them in light of their immediate narrative context, and then we have to read them in light of the overall story, the overall narrative of redemptive history, of God's uh, way of redeeming people and working throughout history. Where does this fit in that story, and what's going on? So, as you read Old Testament narratives, keep God primary and keep God's purposes primary and then keep man and man's response and what man does secondary. What does this say about God? What does this show us about who God is and how he operates? Uh, that's first before you try to say, figure out what it says to us. And then concerning us, you really want to think about it in terms of our relationship to God. Um, so, for example... Abraham, the story of Abraham, one of the major lessons out of it, it's the major lesson that the New Testament authors regularly pull out of it, is that Abraham teaches us what God desires from us in relationship to him. And that is, what he desires is wholehearted trust in God's promises. Abraham made a whole lot of mistakes when you read the Genesis account. He's certainly not perfect, but what God uh, found in Abraham was somebody who was willing to trust his promises. Even when he misunderstood them, even when he tried to fulfill them in kind of fleshly, self-serving sort of ways, he was, he was trusting God's promises the best he knew how. And he got it wrong a lot of the time, but he still trusted God. And that's the point that's pulled out of that. Or, for example, the story, say, of Saul and the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15. Well, it teaches us that obedience to God's commands means more to God than religious ritual. Because Saul offered a sacrifice to God, but he had disobeyed God's very clear and explicit commands. So we learned that. And so it's, it's about mankind's relationship to God himself and God's covenant, way more than it is moralistic advice for life. And so as we read the narratives of the Bible, that's how we want to approach it, as theological history. So let me just, as we wind this down, let me think about a specific example. And let's take the example, say, of Samson. When you read the story of Samson in the book of Judges, yes, there are maybe some things we can learn about it. But here is, when you look at Samson in its immediate context, and you look at it in the story of the book of Judges, what is the point of the Samson story in the book of Judges? Well, the point of the Samson story seems to be, at least one of the major themes, is that Samson, even though he's a judge, has the very same problem of the people. And so he is a leader for God, but he's a leader with the same problem. And the problem is that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Read the Samson story. Pay attention to his eyes. Samson sees a woman and she looks good to him. And he tells his parents, get her for me. Samson goes to look at the lion's carcass, finds some honey in it, digs the honey out, even though he is a Nazarite and not supposed to be uh, touching any dead thing. And he's doing that while he's walking through a vineyard. And that's just he's just flirting with temptation, right? Uh, Samson picks up a jawbone that he sees and he grabs it. Just read the Samson story for the emphasis on his eyes. And then the culmination of the Samson story is what? His eyes getting plucked out. And his final act of kind of almost revenge is, his prayer is, let me avenge my two eyes. 
Samson has the same eye problem that the people of Israel in total have. That is, he's driven by uh, the lust of the eyes. Whatever he sees and he likes, that's what he wants, and he takes it, even though it compromises his calling and his vow before God. Well, that's how it fits into the immediate narrative. And so Samson is a hero, but he's a very flawed and broken hero. How does this story fit into the whole story of Israel and thus the story of redemptive history? Well, what the Samson story shows us is that here we are just a few centuries out from God making a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai uh, through Moses' leadership. We're only a few centuries out from that. And Israel is so corrupted and so unfaithful that even their, the people who are supposed to be their leaders are, are part of the problem. And the question that should be ringing through us is, how in the world is God going to fulfill his promise to Abraham and redeem the world in view of the fact that Israel is so unfaithful, that their leaders even are so unfaithful? That's how it fits into the story of Israel. And thus, how does it point forward to Jesus? Is is like, Israel is already a failed project, and we're, we're not far into their history. Um, their leaders are unfaithful, driven by what's you know best to them and what they see and what they like. Israel needs redeeming just as much as the nations around them need redeeming. Israel is disobedient just as much as the nations around them are. How in the world is God ever going to redeem the world through this flawed and broken nation? And, and thus, we look forward to Jesus, who is the ultimate fulfillment of the promised Abraham, and he is everything Samson was supposed to be, but failed to be. He's everything that uh, Israel in total was supposed to be, but failed to be. He is the the representative Israelite who is uh, faithful to the end, not for his own vengeance or for himself, but giving up himself for the sake of his people, laying down his life, not to avenge his, his two eyes or to avenge himself, but laying down himself, his life, like a lamb going to the slaughter, that he might redeem Israel and all the nations through his act of faithful obedience. And so the story of Samson teaches us that lesson and really calls us then in response to say, well, um, I want to be faithful. I want to be a faithful follower of Jesus, like Jesus was, and like Samson never really managed to pull off, but was just partially. Uh, and in part, he was such a flawed one. And Lord, I may be flawed too, um, but I want to be faithful. So give me the faith of Abraham and give me the faith of Jesus that I might follow you to the end of my days. That's really the message that we should gain from the story of Samson. And we can learn lessons also about what led to Samson's unfaithfulness. Well, it was his, his compromise, his flirting with um, things that were completely contrary to the vow that he was set apart by. Faithfulness is often compromised by small little choices made uh, in the context of going about our everyday life. God, help me be vigilant so I can be faithful to you. So there's just some suggestions for perhaps how to think about and read the Samson story as 
a model of reading these stories more as theological history about God and his ways and our relationship to him, rather than as allegories or moralistic stories that provide us tons of personal advice on parenting and leadership and everything else that sometimes we think we see in them. So I hope that helps. Uh, you read biblical narrative, particularly Old Testament narrative, uh, more faithfully and more helpfully as you seek to follow Jesus. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Thanks to each and every one of you who make this ministry possible by your generous support. The Bible and Life is a crowdfunded, listener-supported Bible teaching ministry and couldn't do it without you. So thanks a ton. May God bless you for it. If you want to join the team of supporters, uh, feel free to swing over to johnwhitaker.net, click the Give button, and it will take you to a page where you can set up a one-time or a recurring monthly uh, donation. So. Thanks a ton for your support. May God bless you for it. I look forward to talking with you again next week.